The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. to give me your attention. I want to talk to you about three troubled men that God used. I always am encouraged by reading the Bible that God uses people that are imperfect. And God uses some people, if you let me pick them, I wouldn't pick them. I'd say, no, them are, them are losers outright. And that's why he picked me. Because uh, when he found me, I definitely wasn't something to look at and say, oh boy, he'll, he'll be a good servant of mine. No. I like Peter, and it's interesting, Peter being the leader of the whole thing, Peter, James, and John. Peter, he spoke, and then he stuck his foot in his mouth and just, just you know, had all kinds of arrogancy problems. And he eventually, you know, of course, those were the arrogancy problems. Like Peter had to go through some tough learning experiences. Let me talk to you. Let's take your Bible, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I do this, so I'm not going to really refer back to them. Because I don't need to, that's why. First Peter chapter 3, verse 20. When it's talking here about the first character I'm going to speak about, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Uh, Jesus said, and my wife and I have discussed this for many years, few be there that find the straight way, the narrow way. And I've asked the question among groups of people through the years, what do you think a few is? A few, one out of a hundred, two out of a hundred. Most people will say five, six, seven out of a hundred would be few to them. According to Henry Morris, which knows a whole lot more than I know, and he's in heaven right now, and he knows a whole lot more than I know, but in his book Genesis, think about page 143 in that area, he talks about how many people he thought were on the planet prior to God destroying the entire, in fact, everything that had breath. He felt there were somewhere around 20 to 25 billion people inhabiting earth prior to the flood. Now, this verse says eight souls were saved. And God says that's a few. It's one of the few, and I use the word few, it's one of the few definitions of a word. God defines 8 out of 20, 25 billion as a few. All I can say, his few is a lot fewer than my few. Wow. But I just thought you want to meditate on it. That was free. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 is another reference to it. And, as, and he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. May God help us. As we plow this a little bit this morning, may you walk away being different than you came 
and may you open your heart. I believe a lot of preaching is not just the guy standing up here, but it's the person listening. The, when, when an old sower goes out to sow, if the ground's not ready to take the seed, it won't produce what God wants you to produce. You have to have a good heart, a good soul, a good seed, a good receiving of the seed of Word of God. So hopefully there's nothing between you and the Savior and that you're willing to do what you hear. And then God will come to you and He'll talk to you. I appreciate it, Brother Moon teaching this morning. Sunday school class is as good as it gets. I've heard a lot, of, a lot of Sunday school teachers and a lot of teaching that what he taught this morning is as good as teacher, good as teaching as you're going to get anywhere. I appreciate him doing that. There's a thing called pragmatism in the day we live. Pragmatism. It's a word new to me about 15, 20 years ago. It was new to me. Pragmatism. I hadn't heard much about it, though the philosophy has, goes all the way back to the evil one in the garden where he first used it on Eve. Pragmatism is everywhere. It's in our tea. It saturated our society. It saturated the philosophy of the news media. Politically correct is part of it. It saturated politics. It saturated business. My business is bowing their knee to a thing called pragmatism. Capitalism has infiltrated our biblical thinking. That's the problem. It's very dangerous when you take the philosophies of business and apply it to the local church. I want you to get that. It is very, very dangerous, and if I may say terminal, to apply the rules that work in the business world to the church. The business world, the church, first of all, is not a business. The church is an organism birthed by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. It is not like anything else in this world. But it's, it is, it's not uncommon to see businessmen who are out there slugging it out every day in the business world to try to come to their local church, get on the deacon board, and to try to implement marketing techniques, business techniques, upon the local church. If we were after the same thing the businesses were after, that may work, but we're not. We're a group of people that, by the, by, for the vast majority, are born from above. That is unexplainable, the fact that we've come and placed our faith in Christ. It is illogical. We've come from all sorts of backgrounds. And God has saved us and birthed us into his family. And we rally around this book, his word. And believe it and follow it. That's what makes us a fundamentalist. Capitalism has infiltrated, in many places, biblical thinking. And here's how it displays itself. If the crowds are not coming into the local church, something's wrong. If the budget of the local church is small, something's wrong. If the Sunday school crowd is 10 to 15 people, something must be wrong. If souls are not getting saved, something must be wrong. If kids are not turning out, something must be wrong. If our families are not doing well and struggling and having trouble, are not prospering the way that we think they should, something must be wrong. All of this kind of thinking 
will put you in deep trouble with God and eventually take you into a place of error if you're not aware of it. That's what I'm here to help you with. We must go as born-again believers, not to the world's philosophy of the way things work, but to God's philosophy of the way things work. We go to the Bible, and we actually throw off the philosophy of the world and say we don't believe that for the things of God. And so if we're going to survive on the journey we uh, have ahead of us as born-again believers, it is very important to have the right philosophy. Because a philosophy is like a rudder on a large ship. It'll turn the whole thing, just a little philosophy difference will change it. The new evangelicals and, and, and moderates and modernists and, and new agers and all of these errors that are out there, simply their rudder got twisted over to the side in some error and they followed it and it took them the wrong way. We're subject to that. We must learn from those who have gone before us. And where do we find that out? In the Bible. So, a couple places. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 11 says, Now all these things, that is the Old Testament things, according to that verse, happened unto them for in samples that are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So the things that are written in the Bible are written there so you and I can look at them and say, hmm, let's learn from that. Let's not have to repeat the mistakes and the errors that these people went through. That's why much of the Bible is, is uh, folks that failed, folks that struggled, and it shows their journey so that we don't go that same way. That's repeated again, by the way. Let me see if I got that. Let me make sure I got that verse correct here. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, For what so, what, whatsoever things were written aforetime, that's the Old Testament in this case, were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So we go back to the Bible, and we look at what the Bible says, and we compare it with this thing called pragmatism that's knocking on your door everywhere you turn as far as the media is concerned. The formal definition of pragmatism is this, an approach that assesses the truth of meaning of theories or beliefs in terms of the success of their practical application. Let me try to make that simpler. If it works, according to pragmatism, if it works, it's true. If it doesn't work, it's false and to be rejected. The problem with this is multiple. First, concerning the Bible and God, you're not playing by your rules. You're playing by God's rules. I'm not making up the rules of life. God is. Secondly, the outcome of things in this world does not settle it. There is an outcome in the next world that is coming from this world. And things, it's not over just because things may not go well in this world doesn't mean they aren't going to be great in the next world. Are you with me? Beware of judging temporally and not eternally. Thirdly, truth does not change according to outcome. Uh, by different times or maybe different cultures. Uh, let me give you real quickly this morning, and that's uh, frivolous uh, words of a preacher. Let me, give you, let me give you three troubled men that God used and talk to you along these three examples. Let me parallel along with that the trouble with pragmatism. 
first of all, let me talk to you about Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. In 1 Peter, as I read there, it said there were few but eight souls that were saved of that place. Now, God spoke well of Noah. He said he was a just man. Would you like God to say that about you? I would. It said he was perfect in all his generations. That means complete. He, he was mature. Would you like God to call you mature? Oh, I'd be thrilled. I'd be thrilled. Now, I ask my wife how I'm doing. She always tells me, oh, you're the best preacher I've ever known. You're wonderful. It's lost its meaning. I say, say something critical. She says, I don't have anything. You notice I'm not asking you folks. But anyway, <laughs> Noah walked with God. How would you like that to be said of you? Adam, got a lot of things to be said of you, but Adam walked with God. By the way, Adam did walk with God. How would you like, he's a, the Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. Man, any preacher would love God to say, he was a preacher of righteousness and there was the right things. He said the right things. He stayed with the book. He told them the truth. No matter how the pressure came on the old preacher, and brother, if you get up to stand and preach for God and say something for God, there is pressure from within and pressure from without and pressure from places you couldn't believe to try to move you off the truth. He was the heir of righteousness, the Bible says, and he was obedient. Now, let me ask you a question. How will God speak of you? How will God speak of you? Yet, according to the prevailing philosophy of pragmatism, Noah was a massive and complete failure. Are you with me? You couldn't go to a church building seminar that they wouldn't condemn Noah with his eight people after 120 Years of preaching. 120 years he pastored the Noah Baptist Church. And nobody came. In fact, not all his family showed. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, I mean, his, his, he, had, he had his family, immediate family, kids and wives, you know. No grandparents. I don't see any grandparents. Where's Noah's grandparents? How about his great-grandparents? Now, they lived a long time back then. How about his cousins? Where were his cousins at? Where were his nephews? Where were his friends? No one but his three sons and three wives. That's it. That would be laughed out of most church-building seminars today, and, and he would be called a failure. Uh, they would say, only six people followed your preacher? Well, your wife, you know you're going to expect your wife to stick with you. And those were your family? Noah failed miserably to influence your generation. That's what they'd tell him. You've, you've failed to influence your generation. You should have used methods that attracted the masses, Noah. You should have broadened your appeal, Noah. You should have quit 
preaching the Bible and talking about sin because people don't want to hear that negative stuff. You should have loosened up on the strictness. You should have brought in their kind of music, their kind of rock music, their kind of dancing, their kind of clothing. You should have probably, Noah, you should have just resigned and hired a younger man. In fact, Noah, I think you should have allowed your wife to preach some. You should have dressed more modern, Noah. Maybe gotten your hair dyed black and curled. Preach more about the family. Concentrate on the family, Noah. Stay off of the Bible and all those passages and parables and, and those lists of sin and things to avoid. Talk just about building the personal family. Cut sun, and, and By the way, cut Sunday evening services out. You're hindering families. Why? You need to allow them to have Sunday afternoon alone with their families so that they can watch movies and TV and go to the beach. And lastly, Noah, you got to relax your modesty standards. Whew, you just need to chill out on all of this immorality talk and lust talk. That makes people uncomfortable, and uncomfortable people don't come back. And if they don't come back, your budget doesn't go up. If your budget doesn't go up, your church doesn't get bigger. If your church doesn't get bigger, you're a failure. Now, you know, most of you know the Bible well enough. When Jesus said to his disciples, and thank the Lord he said this, amen, old preacher, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, that I don't think God forsook Noah. I think he was with Noah. I think Noah was a spirit-filled Bible, at least God's word, preacher. I believe he did what he was supposed to do. Amen? Doesn't the Bible say that when it says those things that I mentioned about him? Those are Bible things. Noah was obedient. Noah walked with God. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a just man. Noah did the right thing. For 120 years, every time his hammer hit one of those nails on the ark, he preached to that generation that there was judgment coming. There's judgment coming. There's judgment coming. There's judgment coming. Repent. shall all likewise perish. Wasn't that his message? Isn't that been the message of the disciples? Wasn't that the message of John the Baptist? Wasn't that the message of Jesus? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Basically, judgment's coming, and you're going to stand before Almighty God, and there won't be nobody around you. Your mother's not going to be with you. Your father's not going to be with you. Your friends aren't going to be with you. Your Facebook folks aren't going to be with you. Your texting folks aren't going to be with you. Your, your Facebook folks won't be with you. Only you and God, and you should live in such a way as you can someday stand before God and not be ashamed. And this book tells you how to do it. If folks decide to rally around the preacher the preacher's at, so be it. Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. If they decide not to rally around the preacher the preacher's at, praise God, so be it. May that preacher do the right thing. I thank God 
for the preachers out there today that are preaching to crowds of five and six and eight and ten, and they're all scattered all over the world because that's the only people that seem to be interested in their community, but they're doing the right thing. They're preaching the right word and telling them the right truth. They're not pragmatic. Pragmatism leads to apostasy. What you see happening in Christianity throughout the United States and Canada and really most of the world is apostasy. It is the word apostasy means to fall away. You have to have something before you can fall away from it. They've had the truth. They know the truth. They got the Bible, but they've decided it's not working because of the philosophy that they've adopted called pragmatism, that if it doesn't work, it doesn't have value, and if it doesn't work, it must not be right, so we got to change so it works. But works in their definition of works. I want to see people saved every week. I want to see people baptized every week. I want to have so many people in here, we got to have three services every morning. But brother... But more than all of that, I want to do God's will, God's way. The second troubled man that God used was Jonah. Jonah. Jonah was a complainer. Jonah was a whiner. Uh, His attitude was simply horrific. No one can succeed, they say, with that kind of attitude. He looked at nothing but in the negative way, cried over everything he faced, didn't want to do God's will, period. Now, pragmatism says that guy could never do anything for God. However, through this old boy, God caused the greatest single revival ever recorded in our Bible. Very likely ever recorded, period, was the revival of Nineveh. Nineveh, the Bible says the ruler from the top got right with God and from the, all the way to the bottom, the Bible says they even put sackcloth on the animals and the animals got right. Some of your dogs need to get right this morning. Oh, they do. He did all of this with no deeper life seminars. It wasn't pragmatism that did it. It wasn't according to church growth seminars that did it. He broke all the rules. He just about ruined it for every preacher to follow him. Preached eight word sermon. I heard when I was gone, Brother Chris Barrows preached. I heard through the grapevine it was 17 minutes long. I told Moon he's trying to get rid of both of us. He's a snake in the grass. Be careful. I said, they'll vote us out, him in, boom, 17 minutes. Uh, 
But I'm going to tell you one thing, brother. Oh, Jonah, God came. Oh, glory. Glory to God. God came. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by his spirit, saith the Lord. I get tired of people relying so much on education, relying so much on pronunciation, relying so much on enunciation, relying so much on their expertise, relying so much on their abilities, and not relying on the spirit of the living God, which is the only way it'll be done. Brother, if God doesn't do it, it won't last. And it won't be done. And this new church movement won't last. And it won't do what they want, what they think they want it to do because God is being disobeyed. You got to do it his way. It was a good time in my life when I just decided if the Bible says I'm going to do it. That just was a great decision. Just you know, if the Bible says it reasonably, the Bible says I'm just going to obey it. By the grace of God, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to obey it. I haven't been perfect in that. No, I haven't been. But God was the difference. The third troubled man, I'm trying to do 25 minutes today just to stay fairly close to him. The third troubled guy. Trouble is the older you get preaching, oh, never mind. Was Moses. Moses. Maybe the most recognized name in the entire Bible is Moses. I was watching, was it Jeopardy? Where they asked those people, those, they're all really super smart about 50,000 th 50, things you don't need to know about. They don't change your life, don't help you a bit. If they'd know the Bible that well, they'd be, they'd be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ and walking with him and having eternal reward. Unbelievable. But no, they know every trivia of every old movie that ever happened. I remember there were these people were answering questions, and I mean they were answering questions and answering. I mean, me, tough stuff. Even to the place that the guy that was leading the thing was like, Phew. "How do you know that?" And they went on a. There was a Bible section, and they asked a question: Who led Who led the children of Israel out of Egypt? And it was absolutely deafening quiet. I'm yelling at the TV, Moses. They didn't answer it. Nobody knew it. The next one they didn't know. The next one they didn't know. It was embarrassing. At the abs these are not these are not your average trivia folks. The, the the ignorance that they had of the scriptures. Well, this Moses, he was a murderer. He was a wanted criminal, a felon, rejected of his country. Practically speaking, he was a troubled man. He, he had a short temper, a short fuse, killed the guy in anger because he saw some injustice. He was quick and violent with his anger. He was driven because of that by his country because they were going to kill him. He was driven out into the wilderness. The first 40 years, Moses learned how to be a somebody with all the wisdom of Egypt. The second 40 years, he learned how to be a nobody. And there's no, maybe nothing worse than being around a bunch of stinking sheep. Now, if you think that's idyllic or romantic, you just haven't been around sheep. When they got wet, 
But an old sheep with old thick wool that gets wet smells about as nasty as roadkill, three days old. It's nasty smell. Wool can really get nasty. And on top of that, he married an old girl who was a sheep herder's girl. And so her fingernails were dirty. She had about half her teeth. She had never, she'd never seen makeup, eyeshadow, or lipstick. She had hair that probably looked like the sheep. And I wouldn't doubt she smelled like them. But that was the wife that God had for this brother. But you know, God, God, he has a way of helping you see things clearly. God doesn't care about the way the world thinks about things. He overcomes all those things. He turns them upside down. He, he makes their, their impossible possible. This old boy driven in the wilderness, not for 10 years, not for 20 years, not for 30 years. You've been married how long, brother? Brother Barrows? No, not you. Barrows? Behind you. 11 months. Does it seem long? <laughs> you know I'm leading him down the cold afternoon. But I mean, time goes slow when you're young. Goes slow when you're young. It creeps along, especially if you're something. But God let old Moses 40 long years in old stinky sheep. Did you know sheep herders were an abomination to the Egyptians? The Egyptians were shaven and clean and makeup and, and, and painted and jeweled, and especially the group he was with, it was, which was the Pharaoh, and he had to go from that to, man. God will take the impossible. This guy's going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Doesn't God like to use the most unlikely people? Doesn't God like to use, you say, Brother Bill, God's calling and pulling my heart to teach Sunday school class, but I don't speak well, and I don't have a very good memory, and I don't, I don't uh, uh, really, I, I don't know much. You are a fabulous candidate for a Sunday school teacher. You come to me and say, Brother, I got a grip on the Bible, and I, my speech is impeccable, and I, I'm one of the finest teachers you ever met. You're disqualified. Because we can't take that here to gospel. The truth is, God wants you to be a nothing. So he can make something of him and his likeness out of you. While the world, when they think of following the principles of the Bible, we Christians say we follow principles. That's why when this, when this, when this marriage of a man and a man and a woman and a woman came along, we go, no, 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 no. That's wrong. Well, what are you doing calling that wrong? Because the Bible says it's wrong. History says it's wrong. Logic says it's wrong. Common sense says it's wrong. Two roosters don't make babies. We stand on principles, don't we? I hope your life's on principles, not on feeling. I hope your life's on principles, not on pragmatism. But let me tell you what. The world, when they think of possibly somebody coming into power, whether it be uh, 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 Ted Cruz or anybody like that coming into power, 
They, they shudder. They fear. They, they threaten that if he's elected, they would have went to Canada. They would leave the country. And I'm going, oh, God. You've polluted us with your wicked living. If you don't believe that, read, oh, let's see, Leviticus 18, 19, and 20. If you don't believe they've polluted our land. They're polluting our land. They get a panic attack. I've watched, I've watched news media in the morning, watch them, watch them, them harlotans showing everything, but uh, on, on the TV, and you know they're 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 up there saying, oh, oh they're so they're such hate mongers, these people. We're not hate mongers, we just call it what God calls it. An abomination. It's an abomination to God, homosexuality. Transgender is a form of transvestitism is a further abomination to God. I stand without apology for what this book says. And I'm going to tell you, a thousand years from now, this book will still be here, and it'll be right, and all that other stuff will be gone. Stand on principles, people. Stand on what the Word of God says. Stand on what the Holy Spirit teaches you is true. Now, you know what? We, very likely, may not be popular. We, the crowds, may not grow. The responses may get fewer. The baptisms may get less. The finances may go down. But does that mean that we change? Or does that mean we just hunker down like Noah hunkered down? And then at the end of it all, may the grace of God, may he speak of us in some way like he spoke of Noah. They did the right thing. They trusted me. They obeyed my word. They preached righteousness to this generation. But only a few, that is, eight souls. God forbid that that would happen to us. God forbid that that would happen to America. But it could. And for you young people, when this old man's gone, stand. 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 And I'm going to point to you, Hood. You ain't too old. Stand. Stand, stand, stand for the truth. Do the right thing. It don't have to be big. It don't have to be popular. It don't have to be prosperous if it's based on principles of truth. Father, help us. We pray to get this truth today. Father, we pray that we would, that you'd bless the, the preaching of the Bible. Anything that was said here different or contrary to your word, strike it from the memory of these folks. My, my goal is not to do one thing outside of what you say. But, Father, I believe what was preached today is according to the, your word, according to the principles of the Bible. We're not hate mongers. We have no hate at all. In fact, the love of God has filled our hearts. But that love, if we love you, will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And if you will help us do it. Pray, Father, there be some in this room that are being swayed, persuaded, 
by the propaganda of our time. May they not be. May they choose to stand. May they choose to be with God. May they choose to throw their lot like Noah did with God. And so many of those we read about in the Bible. And we see their end. That those who stuck with God, their end was good. Good. But those of Sodom and Gomorrah, they didn't do too well. Those people that didn't get into the ark, uh, they didn't do too well. Father, we pray that you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.